Supplements are like a bicycle. Get you from A to B much slower. You have to wear a helmet, you've got to keep away from cars, but you also get some extra benefits from the, the exercises you do with that. So supplements are like that. So you don't need the same rules for supplements that you need for pharmaceutical drugs. So we need to know with pharmaceutical drugs, A, that they work to stop, say, heart attack and stroke, but B, don't hurt the patient. Whereas supplements are a bit like food, but they're a supplement to food. We need to know that they're affecting surrogate markers for disease. Welcome to the Eat, Live and Move podcast by Miyagi, a space where we bring you the latest science-backed conversations, expert insights and practical tips relating to all things health and wellness. I am Dr. Gina Cleo, your personal habit change expert. And I'm Dr. Ross Walker, cardiologist and preventative health expert. And together with our 60 plus years of experience, mostly thanks to Ross, we're on a mission to help you to improve your health and transform your habits so that you can eat, live, and move better one episode at a time without the fluff or the fads. Today's episode is something that I'm quite excited about because it's something that I actually don't know a huge deal about, but it's definitely a speciality of Dr. Ross's, and that's supplements to support heart health. Originally, I trained as a dietitian where we were sort of told or trained to think that supplements shouldn't be prioritised but rather getting all nutrients from food and only supplementing if we were deficient in something or we just couldn't get it from our diet. So I'm really excited to learn more about the space of supplements and particularly for heart health. And we've had a lot of interest about this exact topic from clients who follow our podcast and clients who attend your live webinars last year, I think, Ross. So today we're going to cover Dr. Ross Walker's top five supplements that he recommends for heart health. So we're going to talk about what they are, what the benefits are, what the research behind them is, and of course, recommended doses. So let's dive in, hey? Make sure to hit subscribe. Ross, as I mentioned, today you're going to talk about the five supplements that you commonly recommend to your patients for heart health. But before we take a closer look at each, I want to just talk generally about supplements. Sure. And I want to know your stance on them. Like, Can you tell us what your thoughts on supplements are? Because I tend to oscillate between we don't really need them, but no, they are beneficial. Like, Where do you sit? Oh, look, I sit firmly in the camp that we do need to supplement. Let me explain to you why I believe we do. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that we are, we are deficit in nutrients. This is not the point. But clearly, as we've said often, Less than 10% of people do have uh, two or three pieces of fruit, three to five servings of vegetables every day, and they're the ones who get the most micronutrients in their diet because we all should be having mainly a plant-based diet. But I talk uh, about why we should be supplementing based on the fact that we were only designed to wander around a jungle for 30, 40 years looking for food and then dying in our 30s and 40s. So wake up in the morning, pick up the spear, wandering around the jungle, killing the beast, eating the beast straight away if it was there because there was no prehistoric kelvinators and they'd eating nuts and berries off the, off the trees for the rest of the time. And so basically being a little bit malnourished, but it really didn't matter because you only live 30, 40 years. But now we live double A use by date in a place where we're, we're an environment where we're exposed to so many more synthetic chemicals, so much more background radiation and constant stress 
that our bodies are being flogged with all of these things and our normal mechanisms aren't good enough to cope with them. So I see, and I've been doing this job for 40 years, which is where the 60 years of our combined experience comes from, I, I see in my own practice the 80-10-10 rule, which is so important for people to do well. And people who follow the 80-10-10 principles in my practice are people who do the best. So I've got two groups of people in my practice, people who follow my advice and people who don't. And the ones who follow my advice do the best. The ones who don't whittle away bits of their heart to their premature death. So what is the 80-10-10 rule? 80% of anyone's management has got nothing to do with damn doctors. We're not that powerful. It's how they look after themselves. Those five keys we've spoken about in a prior podcast. So that to me is not negotiable, written in stone, and that includes the two or three pieces of fruit per day, the three to five servings of vegetables. 10% of people's management is the appropriate use of pharmaceutical drugs if they need them, and many people are being prescribed drugs who don't need them. That's a topic for another podcast. But the final 10% is the appropriate use of supplements. Now, here's the key. The key is they're called supplements. They're not replacements. They're not replacements for a good diet. They're a supplement to a good diet. They're a supplement to regular exercise. They're a supplement to good sleep. They're a supplement to happiness, and they're a supplement to not having addictions. So I don't want anyone to think, and I look, I have a number of people coming to my office. I, I, I'll give you one example. This woman was close to morbidly obese, and she she plonked 20 supplements on the table. She said, Doctor, I don't believe in conventional medicine, but I do take these supplements. And and, and I, I basically said to her, you are morbidly obese. I was very... I was, oh, my I was, God. I hope you no, didn't use that language. No, I was, I was very diplomatic. But basically, I, I explained that her morbid obesity, the supplements would do absolutely nothing to help her. So... You've got to put this in perspective, and the perspective is I believe people do get a benefit, and there is a strong evidence base behind every supplement that I use, but here's the problem. You see, pharmaceutical drugs are like a high-performance motor car. It gets you from A to B very quickly, but with the potential of crashing and killing yourself, so you've got to have seatbelts, safety mechanisms in the car, rules around all or how you do that, whereas supplements are like a bicycle. gets you from A to B much slower you have to wear a helmet, you've got to keep away from cars, but you also get some extra benefits from the, the exercises you do with that. So supplements are like that. So you don't need the same rules for supplements that you need for pharmaceutical drugs. So we need to know with pharmaceutical drugs, A, that they work to stop, say, heart attack and stroke, but B, don't hurt the patient. Whereas supplements are a bit like food, but they're a supplement to food. We need to know that they're affecting surrogate markers for disease. So uh, there's no evidence to show that any of the supplements I talk about make you live longer and reduce your risk for heart attack because the studies just haven't been done over the long period of time they'd need to be done. There are there are some there, there's some compelling evidence amongst uh, around some supplements over a long period of time that they've had benefits uh, of reducing risk for death and, and cancer and heart disease. But I'm saying there's a lot of evidence based to show that all of these supplements do affect the surrogate markers of disease. So there you go. So interesting. You know, you were talking before about like the cavemen and like being out in the wild and eating berries and stuff. Yep, yep. It reminded me, have you seen the show Alone? No, no. Oh. I, was, I was always with someone at the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, no, this show, sorry. it's really good. It's a docu-series 
of I think they they put like all these participants somewhere in the wild where yeah, they have no contact. I can promise no you, contact. I will never watch those sort of shows. Never. Oh no, it's so interesting. Why not? Yeah, it's so interesting to see how no, people do it. I just hate any form of reality TV. I just would never he, Survivor or Bear Grylls or any of that nonsense. No, but this one's good because I'll tell you why it's different. I don't like Survivor either. I do love Bear Grylls, and he would be the person I would take with me in an apocalypse. I've I'm going to tell him that. I'm going to send him a tweet and tell him. But back to Alone, it's essentially a show that all these people I put somewhere like in the wild. So I think the one that I watched was Canada somewhere and it was like snowing. They had to build or they're only allowed to take 10 items with them and they can pick anything they want. So like a tent, a fire starter, whatever. That's all they can take. Their butler. (laughs) They can't have human contact whatsoever. So they actually record themselves. So there's not even a camera crew where they can be recorded. And the idea, I think, is to try to last, well, I'm going to say 100 days. But it is crazy to see the kind of things that they have to do to survive in the wild. I'm like, I'm not made for the G.I. Jane life. Like, it looks so horrible. I'd I'd last about 10 minutes. (laughs) They do last. Yeah, I know. Me too. I would. I just miss my dog, I think. I couldn't be away from Macy for that long. I couldn't do it. I also don't want to kill other animals to eat, and I'd get really overberries after a while. But anyway, back to the supplements. It just reminded me when you were talking about the cavemen. It's actually so much harder. I I think where we've come now in society, industrialization, has taken us so far from what that lifestyle used to be like. That's right. Yeah, and watching alone gave me a glimpse of what that was like. So anyway, now we said that we would that you've got five of your top supplements that you like to recommend. Can you list them out for us? Yeah, first? the the five that I recommend specifically for the heart. And let me also preface this by saying I think everyone should be taking a good quality multivitamin, preferably with the new fourth generation folic acid in it, uh, and secondly, some form of omega three. But these are the five directed cardiac supplements. Number one, and I think, that, and I say this because I do all the research with the Italians and I'm an honorary Calabrian citizen because of my services to the bergamot fruit, is a thing called Bergamet Advance. That's number one. Number two is kyolic garlic, which is very concentrated garlic. Number three, vitamin K2. Number four, ubiquinol, which is the active version of coenzyme Q10. And number five, a magnesium orotate aspartate combination. So they're, they're the five key cardiac uh, supplements that I that I use. I feel like you're using a different language. I All I heard was garlic and magnesium and it, the word advanced. Tell us more. <laughs> Can we start with bergamot? Can you tell us like what the heck this is? All right. So, well, before I, I talk about anything, I'd really have to make the vitally important point that this is a generic discussion based on generic advice. So every, everybody who has any sort of issue should be talking to their general practitioner about their health problems and not saying, oh, Dr. Walker said this, so therefore I'm going to do that. So I don't know your general medical issues, so therefore you need to discuss it with your doctor. But let's let's focus now on the bergamot products. Now, the, the Calabrian bergamot, so this is the Bergamet Advance, which is the latest one. I started researching this with the Italians about 15 years. My, my friend and colleague, Professor Vincenzo Malacci from Calabria, um, and he's the Professor of Pharmacology and Toxicology at the University of Catanzaro and the University of Rome. 
He's smart and he has a cool name. I want to meet this person. And he's a lovely human being. <laughs> but but basically, Vincenzo started using and researching uh, the, the bergamot oranges many, many years ago when he saw that the people living in southern Calabria had incredible longevity. And what we've basically developed is the juice of the bergamot orange uh, being put into a pill. We now have a thing called BJE100, which is 100% pure juice extract uh, and in a product called Bergamet Advance. So I have an association with the company. I do the research for them. So I must give full disclosure on that one. So so base, basically, this particular juice or this, this uh, juice in the pill, the Bergamet Advance, has incredible concentrations of five very strong polyphenols that have a profound metabolic effect. So there's a thing called AMP kinase, which is the master metabolic switch. And what, what the, the Bergamet Advance does is stimulate AMP kinase to help break down fat and sugar in the gut. So in, interestingly, we've spoken about this before. Everyone thinks that cholesterol is bad for you. Nonsense. It is small LDL that is bad for you, small HDL that is bad for you. Now, we've published in the Journal of Clinical Lipidology a study that showed that the Bergamet shifts you from small LDL, small HDL, to large LDL, large HDL. So sometimes your cholesterol goes up a bit because you're getting more large LDL. It's a good thing. But 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 ignorant doctors who don't know about this, they see the change in cholesterol. They go, oh, your cholesterol's getting worse. No, it isn't. Your cholesterol's getting healthier because the bergamot's shifting you to healthier cholesterol. So it's my view that everyone over the age of 50 should be taking this anyhow because it keeps your metabolism healthy. So that's number one. Number two, it reduces your risk for diabetes. There's, there's a thing in, uh, a, in, in the cell, there's a thing called the mitochondria, which makes energy. And within the mitochondria, there's a thing called the GLUT4 pathway, which if that's abnormal, it can shift you on to diabetes. So the, the bergamot polyphenols change that GLUT4 pathway and reduce your risk for diabetes. We've published again uh, a, a study in the Journal of Clinical Lipidology on fatty liver. We've reduced the amount of fatty liver with the bergamot uh, bergamot products also there's there's an effect on blood flow to the skull this uh, the one of the polyphenols in, in bergamot is a pde3 inhibitor now the, the the most famous pde5 inhibitors are very similar are things like viagra and cialis which open up blood vessels in males the most important blood vessel in the body but um but so the, this this uh, bergamot extract improves the blood flow to the skull so there's, there's some effects on better cognition, better thinking with that. And studies from the University of Manchester, not our lab in Catanzaro, showed a suppression of, of cancer cells as well. Now, I'm not suggesting bergamot prevents cancer. I'm just saying there's all of these surrogate benefits that have been shown with bergamot. And at a big study we published in the, in the International Journal of Cardiology a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, we gave people 20 milligrams of resuvastatin, the strongest statin, lowered their LDL cholesterol 56.5%. Then we cut it in half and added the bergamot. We lowered their LDL cholesterol 52.5%, so almost the same, but a much bigger drop in triglycerides and a much bigger rise in HDL with the bergamot added to the lower dose statins. So what I'm saying is that is that you can use this as an adjunct there. So you can see all the benefits from being on this stuff, and that's why I think everyone over the age of 50 should be on it, everyone with metabolic syndrome should be on it, Everyone who is statin intolerant should be taking it. Everyone who's on a statin should be taking it. There's a, a widespread use for the, for the bergamot products. 
That's number one. I love how passionate you are as a cardiologist. Like, I love how you just light up when you're talking about things like bergamot. Yeah, well, it's, it's super just, cool. Oh, but well, you see, I've been using this in my own practice on thousands of patients for 15 years. And when you see the benefits, it's quite extraordinary. I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. I mean, uh, this is not a clinical trial. This is a pure anecdote. But I had a man come to see me who, at age 60, had a coronary calcium score of 150, a plaque volume of 144. So because his calcium score was above 100, I put him on a statin. Obviously, you spoke to him about the five keys of being healthy, the 80% of his management, the statin, and my cardiac protocol with all this stuff that I'm talking about now. And he rang me after three months. He said, Ross, I can't lift my arms from these statins. I'm not taking them. I'll do everything else. Now, Homo sapiens are a species are a sorry lot. So if I line up 100 people and I give them all the same program, after 12 months, 50% have stopped. You're still taking the bergamot. Oh, it's a bit expensive, which it isn't. A bit expensive. It didn't seem to be doing much. No, I stopped. I forgot, forgot to order it again. But, the, but this guy, this guy was absolutely diligent. So he didn't miss a day of his exercise and his good sleep and his, his good eating, etc. He took the supplements every day, came back to see me five years later for another calcium score. So this is a disease that's progressive in all people. His 150 calcium score had dropped to 126. But more importantly, the plaque volume, which is fat, 144 to 43. So we'd taken two thirds of the fat out of his arteries with no drugs, just with the cardiac supplement, especially focusing on the bergamot. So that's bergamot. That's amazing. That is amazing. All right, Ross, can you just give us a recap? Like, I know you mentioned that everybody over 50 should be taking the supplement. And are there any known sort of interactions with other medications or contraindications or, you know, what should people no, be the, mindful of? Look, look, the, the only thing is that there's no interactions with drugs. So you can take it with any drug whatsoever. That doesn't matter. But the problem is with anything, whether, it, whether it's natural or whether it's pharmaceutical, for, for pharmaceutical drugs, there's about a 10% side effect rate with every pharmaceutical drug. With with supplements, the side effect rate is much lower, but I've still got a few people who get dreadful reflux taking bergamot. Um, I, some, pe some people are sensitive to citrus fruits. They break out in a skin rash. They're the people who can't take it. And I'm not saying if you can't take it, that's the end of the world. I'm just saying it's a good thing to add to your lifestyle. But don't come in here with the, 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 the abdominal obesity or the um, cigarette hanging out of your mouth and think the bergamot's going to do a damn thing for you. So you, you've got to do the lifestyle first. So that's bergamot. Okay. So can we now move on to the second supplement, which I think you mentioned is kaiolic garlic. First, can you tell us a little bit about this and what the kaiolic part is, if I'm even pronouncing that right? And then please tell me these supplements are odorless because, I mean, we don't want to have garlic breath all day. Now, so the, kaiolic's, the kaiolic garlic is just a very concentrated form of garlic in a capsule there's no odor with it. You don't have the garlic breath, none of that sort of stuff. So, so it, it, it so basically, it uses the aged garlic extract, and the compounds in that have a profound effect on um, on many things. So, I'll give you an example. A good mate of mine in California is Professor Matt Budoff, who's one of the top preventative cardiologists in America, and he did a study where he used two capsules of kyolic garlic twice a day. So the standard dose I use to control blood pressure and just give people some degree of reversal of their cardiac disease is two a day. But he used four a day and people had already had 
pretty advanced heart disease on a CT coronary angiogram. After 18 months, he showed shrinkage of plaques just with the chyolic garlic as one example. There's an effect on cholesterol. There's an effect on endothelial function. Well, your blood vessels open and close. Uh, there's an effect on your immune system, so it's an immune booster. And it also, of course, works on the microbiome, which is part of the ways it has its effect. So to give you an example, uh, 61 trials in 900,000 900, asymptomatic people had a reduction in total cholesterol uh, for, so for every one millimole reduction in total cholesterol, there's, there's been a large meta-analysis, 61 trials, 900,000 asymptomatic people, showing there was a significant reduction in blood cholesterol just by using chyolic garlic. And also, a, a colleague of mine, Professor Karen Reed from the National Institute of Integrative Medicine in, in Melbourne, has done a study, a small study in general practice of 88 people, where, he ga- where she gave them two chyolic garlic in the morning, these are people with mild hypertension, and lowered their blood pressure pretty similar to a blood pressure pill. So there's a lot of benefits from chyolic garlic to help help reverse heart disease to some extent and also to control blood pressure and also to control cholesterol and keep the immune system healthy. So that's chyolic garlic. I love it. And where do we get the Like, where can we buy from? Well, it's just from any health food store. There are good chyolic garlic preparations that people can get. Very simple. Do you have a favourite? Well, there's one called Neutral. Yeah, well, uh, one called Neutral Life Heart and Cholesterol Formula. I have no association with the company, but they they make a very good brand. You should uh, after this. Yeah, pitch it to them. Love it. Let's move on to number three, which is vitamin K two. I think a lot of people have heard of vitamin K before, but tell us about K two. Yeah, we see people have heard of vitamin K, and they think vitamin K is the thing that. You get from leafy green vegetables, which it is, but that's vitamin K1. And so that, then they think, oh, vitamin K2 affects clotting. No, it doesn't. It has minimal effect on clotting whatsoever. And vitamin K2 comes from, from natto, which, which is a fermented, uh, fermented yeast in Japan. That's where they actually get the stuff from. And what has what been shown with vitamin K2, the best way to talk about this is that vitamin K2 modulates the removal of calcium from your arteries and puts it back in your bones. So you get two bangs for your buck with vitamin K2. The dose is 180 micrograms daily at least to get that effect. So you get more flexible arteries and stronger bones by doing it. Now, um, there's a lot of evidence showing the benefits for these two things. So for example, there was one study, four and a half thousand people, those who had the lowest levels of vitamin K in their bloodstream had the highest rates of heart disease. But another study called the Rotterdam Heart Study looked at 244 postmenopausal women over three years, gave them 180 micrograms a day versus placebo, and measured arterial stiffness and also measured bone health and found a marked improvement there. So I, I think vitamin K2 is a great thing to take for people who've got some, some muck in their arteries, got a high calcium score, already had heart disease, stent, bypass, stroke whatever. So I use vitamin K2 as part of my protocol for all of those reasons. Okay. And say someone starts to take this, like how long would it take for them to start, say, seeing some benefits or improvements in their, the gunk, gunk, as you call it, in their arteries? Yeah. Look, for, for all of these things, they won't feel any different. So for, when you're taking bergamot, when you're taking chyolic garlic, when you're taking the K2, you don't feel any different. So you'd have to have these things measured, these parameters measured. So I believe things start to work after about three months. 
but you really get the long-term benefit once you've been on them for five years, for 10 years. And as I said, most people aren't in it for the long haul. They just do something for a few months and say, oh, I don't feel any different, so they stop. So you've got to be in it for the long haul, and they're the people I see getting the benefits. Okay, juicy. And again, are there any interactions that people need to know about with other medications? No, not at okay. all. The, look, the only, th- the only one thing, there is still some very, very spurious research with it, which I basically disregard because I don't think it's it's that cogent. Where maybe if people are taking the drug warfarin, there might be a weak interaction. Because but, but warfarin is really vitamin K one, not vitamin K two. So I, I, it's only animal stuff. There's been no human data at all. But I, I would say if someone's taking warfarin, I probably wouldn't give them K two just purely for legal reasons. But personally, I don't think it's going to do much anyhow. So that's the only interaction. Okay. Oh, that's easy. All right. Let's move on to the fourth supplement, ubiquinol. I've also heard of this one, but tell us more about it. I can't quite remember the benefits of this one. Well, look, most people have heard of coenzyme Q10. Coenzyme Q10 is one of the major drivers of energy production in the mitochondria. But a lot of people don't realize this, that standard CoQ10 that you get rather inexpensively in a health food store is called ubiquinone, and when it gets into the body, it has to be metabolized into a thing called ubiquinol, what we're talking about now, which is the active version of coenzyme Q10. Here's the problem. If you're in your 20s and 30s, well, ubiqu- ubiquinone, you can take it, you'll metabolize it pretty quickly. But when you hit 30, and especially when you hit 50, the enzyme diaphorase that converts you from ubiquinone to ubiquinol starts to do that. So the, the levels of active ubiquinol you have in your tissues start to drop right off. And so, for example, uh, I take 150 milligrams of ubiquinol every day just to give me energy. But if you're taking a statin drug to lower your cholesterol, that, that affects a thing called complex 3 in the mitochondria. And, and that's exactly where the ubiquinol is working to produce energy. So a lot, a lot of people who take statins get aches and pains in their muscles. They feel tired. So I give ubiquinol to all my patients on statins, 150 milligrams a day, just to do that. If you have heart failure where the heart's not pumping well, 300 milligrams of ubiquinol a day can actually improve the pumping action. And going with that is something that, so I think they're almost blood brothers, is ubiquinol and magnesium orotate and magnesium aspartate together. What they do is lift up the magnesium in the mitochondria and also help reduce more energy as well. So they're, they're the five things I use. Just to summarize, the bergamot, the uh, the chiolic garlic, the vitamin K, yeah, vitamin K2, the ubiquinol, and then number five, the magnesium. They're the five things I use as supplements for, for people with cardiac issues. All right, Ross, that is a lot of juicy content. Thank you for sharing those top five. Pleasure. Let's say someone's listening and they're curious about starting one or five of these supplements. Like, what's the best way to start? Do they take them all or just one at a time? What do you recommend? Yeah, I, I think in most cases, people can just start them all because they have minimal side effects. The only thing I would say, for example, people have very sensitive gastrointestinal tracts. The magnesium, any form of magnesium, and about 10% of people can cause diarrhea, maybe some abdominal cramping. So you may want to make, maybe hold off the magnesium until you've introduced the other ones, then bring that in to make sure your gut's all right. But, it, but the, the point about all of this information, we're talking about 10% of people's management. 
So, for example, if they can't take everyone, or I mean, let's face it, with the cost of living the way it is at the moment, a lot of people can't afford all this stuff as well. So if you can't afford it, I would say the really key ones there, in my view, are the Bergamet and the Ubiquinol. They're, they're the main ones and possibly K2. But I still think kyolic, garlic and magnesium are important. But but the key, the key is especially the Bergamet and especially the Ubiquinol then K2. That that, would be the order that I would say is vitally important. But you get benefits from all of them. Yeah. Okay, that's really valuable, Ross. Thank you. Now, we've got a member question this week, and it comes from Erica. Erica has asked you a question, Ross. She said, if you have been on blood pressure tablets for 30 years, is there any chance of getting off them? And how would this be managed? Now, obviously, there's probably a lot of other factors that you need to consider, but can you give some sort of general answer to this one? Well, the answer to that is generally no. If you've had blood pressure for that time, the, the changes in your blood vessels that have brought about the high blood pressure are so ingrained that you're probably not going to get off pills. So I don't want to be negative about it, but that's that's the, the likelihood here. But we have given a whole podcast on the management of hypertension. And one of the key things I said was that the, the most the, probably the most important non-pharmaceutical measure of blood pressure is to reduce your waist circumference. So if you if you've got a lot of belly fat, getting rid of that may be get may get you to the point where you can come off your medication. So so by reducing belly fat, by um, having three to five hours of exercise, getting rid of salt and sugar, keeping your grog down, managing your stress, those things may help. We we've just spoken about bergamot and kyolic that may help as well. A bit of dark chocolate may help. Um, if you've got sleep apnea and you have that treated, that may help as well. But unfortunately, if your blood pressure is not sitting around 120 systolic over the age of 50 most of the time, and you've done all the things I've just mentioned, then it's probably pills on top of it. And look, the worst thing is not being on a pharmaceutical drug for the rest of your life. The worst thing is a stroke. And that's that's the problem with poorly controlled blood pressure, which we'll talk about in the next podcast when we talk about uh, the 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 way the best way to manage and prevent stroke, and that is typically managing your blood pressure. Okay. Oh, thank you. That was very nice and clear. And I hope, Erica, that that has answered your question. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode on Eat, Live, and Move with Miyagi. I personally have learned so much about supplements for heart health, and we hope that you have too. Whatever platform you're listening to today, please make sure you hit subscribe. And we'll see you next week for more conversations with me, Dr. Gina Cleo, and Dr. Ross Walker. Bye. Bye.